Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week, my producer Miranda and I explore the top stories making waves in the news, and some that are just plain interesting. We connect you with the journalists and people who know the story, and bring you news without the noise, so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, we will be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. The big weather news of the week was that of the polar vortex hammering the Midwest. It's making its way east, and it's taking all the cold with it. At least 13 people have died as a result of the storm. The number can fluctuate depending on how the rest of the weekend rolls out. Records were set all over the place. In Rockford, Illinois, there was a record-breaking minus 31 degrees, and by Monday, it might be at 50 degrees. So there's like an 80-degree swing right there that's happening all over the place. For the science of the polar vortex, we spoke to Andrew Friedman. He's an extreme weather expert and science editor at Axios, and we start off by talking about the science and how this all fits in with global warming. We knew a couple of weeks ago that the polar vortex had been disrupted, which is a way of saying, you know, this big circulation in the upper atmosphere that always happens in the wintertime had wobbled and weakened and pieces of it had broken off. And when that happens, meteorologists become more alert, watching more closely for possible cold air outbreaks further south. So into Europe, Asia and the United States. That's basically what was taking place now is that a lobe of a piece of the polar vortex, true Arctic air direct from the pole, is coming down over the Midwest. We're going to set records not just at the surface, but actually at about 5,000 feet up which from a meteorological standpoint is particularly impressive. It's going to be probably around minus 42, 44 degrees Celsius at about 5,000 feet. That's an indication of how cold the surface temperatures may be. Getting more specific into like what people will feel on the ground. You know, people in Chicago, people in Minneapolis, I lived in Chicago, people there pride themselves on getting through cold weather. (laughs) They know how to deal with this. Everybody suffers together. You joke about like your frozen eyelids and like you have your layers. People in Chicago wear long underwear to work sometimes in the wintertime. It's just a thing you do. This, however, is really downright dangerous cold. We're going to have wind chills even into Chicago around negative 40 Fahrenheit wow. probably on Wednesday morning and maybe on Thursday morning. They're already throwing the, the warnings out there saying be careful for frostbite. Things can start setting in as quickly as 5 to 15 minutes outside if you have any skin that is exposed. But I did want to get back a little bit to this polar vortex and how it splintered off because from my understanding, it was warm air that's kind of split the vortex and then that's what happened. And I love the way you put it in your article. It's as if Mother Nature left the freezer door open and all that cold air is coming straight towards us. What happened back at the beginning of January was known as a sudden stratospheric warming event. If you think about 100,000 feet up in the atmosphere, some waves of energy from the lower atmosphere kind of cruised up there and they had a very sudden spike in uh, temperatures at that level. And what that does is it kind of radiates energy back up and back down. And over time, it can, through just the way fluid dynamics works, kind of like colliding waves in a swimming pool or in the ocean, it can do weird things in terms of disrupting what was this nice, beautiful, perfectly round polar vortex and cause it to split off and meander drunkenly sort of about the northern hemisphere. It's going to last 
pretty much uh, in the same area all week and then shift to the east and moderate. But cities like D.C., New York, Boston will also see uh, low temperatures later in the week in the single digits below zero in the, in the suburbs. Talk to us about the polar vortex and what we're going to be experiencing this week in uh, broader terms with regards to global warming and climate change as a whole, because I know a lot of people say, how is it so cold if we're supposed to be having global warming? I know the science (laughs) suggests that the earth is warming and everything, but meld these two together for us. From one perspective, I'm looking at this cold and I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is quite impressive. It's really impressive. It's hard to do statistically now. In the climate we have now, having warmed as much as we have over the past century or more, it's hard to pull off extreme cold like this. The science shows that extreme cold like this is going to be less frequent as time goes on. Now, there is science showing that as you warm the planet and you melt more Arctic sea ice and that creates more open ocean continuing into the fall, you may be priming things for polar vortex events to happen more frequently in the U.S. and Europe in the following winter. There are a number of studies that have been published on this. This doesn't mean that this cold is due to global warming. This more means that weather patterns like this may happen more frequently, extremes of both polar vortex variety and of the heat wave variety. And what I point people to is the fact that, you know, the Midwest, and the Ohio Valley are going to be frozen this week. But the United States as a whole is going to be warmer than average. The world as a whole is going to be considerably warmer than average. We're about to hear from NASA and NOAA now that they're back to work that 2018 was most likely the fourth warmest year on record and the past five years were the five warmest years off the planet has seen. And if you want to think about the extremes going on right now on the planet, you can think of the Midwest with the extreme cold, and it's going to be painful, and people are going to really have a hard time with this. Our infrastructure is going to have a hard time with this. And then you have what's going on in Australia, where the entire country has been blazingly hot since November, hotter than that country is accustomed to, most likely going to be their hottest summer on record. January will be their hottest month on record. And they're seeing temperatures above 120 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, I point to that extreme because that's the type of thing that we're seeing more of and in more greater intensity. One could argue, and there may be studies published on this, that this cold event would actually have been colder had this occurred 20 years ago and will, you know, come less frequently as time goes on. But that's really of no consolation to the millions of people who are going to be painfully waiting for the bus or commuting if those schools are still open. I do expect closures for a couple days. Andrew Friedman, extreme weather expert and science editor for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. My favorite story of the week has to do with a mysterious secret tunnel in Florida, and nobody knows who put it there. Authorities found a tunnel leading to a bank ATM. It led investigators to believe that it was for a possible bank heist. Linda Trichetta, she's a reporter for the Sun Sentinel, joins us to break down this bizarre story. The latest update is they're examining all of the evidence they have recovered. That includes a generator and a ladder and a wagon and a winch. 
and pickaxes. Hopefully there'll be some fingerprints or anything they can trace on those tools. They don't know who did it. They're a little bit baffled by it because, as you may have read, the trend, if you're going toward an ATM, is to put chains around it and haul it away with your pickup. (laughs) That happens a lot here in South Florida and around the country. So they were putting in a lot of work and it was risky to themselves as well. It's a very small space. Talk a little bit about the space because the reports are saying that it's so tiny. I mean, you'd have to be super skinny to be able to crawl through. And if you were going to navigate it, you'd have to crawl on your stomach for this. Exactly. They said that it was about two feet by four feet in places in South Florida. If you dig down a foot, you're often going to encounter limestone. So it's not a very deeply built tunnel. And it's not easy. Usually you have to blow limestone up to get through it. So it's just odd that they were going to so much trouble. They started the tunnel in the woods. It's about 150 feet, 50 yards from the ATM bays and then the bank itself. They were able to have a lot of cover in those woods. It's had very deep foliage and it kind of is next to a pond. The generator doesn't make a lot of noise, I'm told by my sources at the FBI. And so, you know, they were able to work without being discovered. But we had some heavy rains recently, and that may have softened the roadbed that may have been weakened by their digging. Fortunately, no one was laying underneath it and got run over or anything. What's fun about the story is we don't usually get this much information from the FBI. But as you said you know, earlier, it is kind of lighthearted, and it's because it was not a yellow tarp case. Right, there exactly. was no body. Nobody lost any money. As far as we know, no one was physically harmed. But they're hunting. They're yep. looking for whoever these people are. They brought out cadaver dogs to check for a body. Thankfully, nothing was there. As I said, the FBI agent in charge was having some fun with it. It said that the tunnel seemed to be a, a poor man's El Chapo tunnel. And even in the in his press conference, he said, hey, welcome to Florida. You know, it's right. just kind of a funny thing. <laughs> you mentioned that a lot of times people tend to chain up an ATM and just haul it away. But these weren't even those type of ATMs. We've seen those chase ATMs. It's like It's huge. It's connected to the building almost. Even the FBI investigators were saying, what was next? You know, they were using pickaxe. Like, how were they possibly thinking they were going to break into the ATM? Exactly. Or if they were going to try and get to the wall of the bank. I mean, I was wondering, I went back today, you know, as we're waiting to hear if there's going to be an arrest or any kind of break in the case. And I was talking to a nonstop stream of gawkers, the looky-loos, who were just so curious and intrigued. And they all had had theories, you know, where the guy's going after the night drop because, you know, there's so many restaurants and bars that may put cash there every night. Or why didn't the cops just leave it alone and lie in wait for the guys to come back? And of course, there were the El Chapo comparisons, but this was (laughs) much more amateurish. You know, there were no railroad tracks. There was no lighting. You couldn't stand up in this tunnel. It's really piqued the curiosity of South Florida residents and people just can't wait to see what the next development is going to be. I mean, I can totally imagine that. As I said, this piqued my interest only because I love bank heists and bank robbers and the, you know, stories made uh, that are fit for movies and things like that. You mentioned that you were getting a lot of information from the FBI about this. To me, it makes sense. They're putting out the call. If anybody has any tips, if you're hearing 
anybody bragging about this or talking about something, you know, hopefully that could lead to more information. So I think maybe that's the thought process. Let's get it out there. Let's see if anybody's uh, buzzing about it. And then maybe we can get to some more details, some more clues. Exactly. It was fascinating to be there today. As you said, the cadaver dog was there. They have a South Florida task force here. All the agencies work together. So the dog came down from Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. And with that deputy, it looked like the Pembroke Pines police had a camera on little treads like you would see on a bulldozer and they kept putting it down into the tunnel and recording and then he would you know <laughs> he would disappear wow. in the hole and then he'd pop up with it and everybody'd look at the video and the pictures and stuff and that's amazing um yeah it's really amazing and you've probably seen the, the photographs that were published on um, the idea that you know, there was an orange electric cord that you would get at a Home Depot. You know, that was kind of the clue for the public works guys. Hey, this is in your ordinary sinkhole or pothole, and it's a little deep, too. So, you <laughs> the, know, that the, prompted them to call the police, and they followed the cord into the woods, and that's how it started. The tunnel never made it to the bank. Uh, there was no opening on the other side, actually, but they said it was clearly pointing towards the bank. Did the bank have any reaction to any of this? They don't want to talk about it. It's an ongoing investigation. They can't comment. And the bank was open yesterday as well as today, and customers were being taken care of, but they declined to discuss it at all. You know, we don't know how far the tunnel went. The FBI hasn't said what the north end of the tunnel is. It stops just short of the bank driveway that goes around the ATM base. So, you know, it, it kind of seems like the ATMs may have been their goal. but. Well, I mean, it's a great story open to wild speculation. I hope we get some right? type of closure to this because it's just fun to hear about these things. And thankfully, obviously, nobody was injured, but we'll see what happens. Linda Trichetta, breaking news reporter for the Sun Sentinel. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Oscar. It was a pleasure. Apple had some explaining to do and had to respond to some privacy issues caused by a bug in their FaceTime app. They have disabled this group chat function after users said a software bug could let callers activate another user's microphone without them knowing. In some cases, they could even activate their camera. We spoke to Robert McMillan, he's a reporter for the Wall Street Journal, to talk about what the bug is and the other side of the story, how a 14-year-old and his mom found the vulnerability and tried to bring it to Apple's attention, and they didn't find out about it till a week later. Group FaceTime is a feature that was introduced in the fall of last year. It's a cool feature that lets you, you know, instead of just FaceTiming, one to one, you can add, you can add, you know, a third person or a fourth person to have like a nice group chat going on there. So it's been around for a few months, and on Monday, people started reporting that if you initiated a FaceTime call with somebody and then added yourself as the third person, the the audio would start streaming what the other person was saying, even if they didn't pick up the FaceTime call. So. In order to exploit it, you know, I would call you via FaceTime on my phone. And even before you picked up, I'd be able to start listening into what you were saying. So if you were saying like, oh, Bob, that jerk is calling me, <laughs> right. I'm tired of him. You'd hear that. It was a really big problem. I mean, there is only a finite amount of time when, when the FaceTime messenger is, is ringing, you know, so you can't listen to somebody forever. But right. you get this like 30 seconds or 
you know, or maybe even longer period where you could like hear what was going on. As people started looking into it, they realized that if the recipient like hit the power button on their phone, then it would turn on the video, start to be able to see them. And then there were, other, there were all these weird things that were happening. So it was like a really bad glitch for Apple, you know, a company famous for its privacy. You're right yeah. that the time that it's ringing is not a long time, but any type of audio or video that could come through is totally a breach of privacy. And the group FaceTime chat, they were touting it as you could have up to 32 people involved on a chat. So just imagine sending that out to so many people. It is possible that something can slip through, something that you might not want any of the other participants to hear. It could potentially be a big problem. In the meantime, Apple responded very quickly. They disabled the function. They're going to roll out some type of update later in the week. So it should take care of it. In the meantime, everybody's recommending go into your settings and turn off the FaceTime feature just in case. That's that part of it. It is fairly simple to turn off the function right now. But let's get into the other part of the story and how a 14-year-old found out the bug. Because a lot of times, you know, people are hacking things and it takes a level of sophistication to figure out some of these bugs. This teenager stumbled upon it while he was trying to play Fortnite with his friends. And then uh, tell us about that and tell us about the story, how his mom got involved to bring it to Apple's attention. Yeah, for all those people that say that nothing good has ever come of Fortnite, well, (laughs) here's the counter argument. Right. So this guy, yeah, Grant, on Sunday, the the 20th of January, so just over a week ago, he was trying to get a game going with his buddies. He started connecting to, to them. And what he found was that once he started adding people to the to the group FaceTime, he'd start being able to hear what they were saying even before they picked up. And so he started studying it a little closer and replicated it, and um, he discovered the issue. He took it to his mom, who's a lawyer, and he said, look, at this seems like a pretty important problem. I know he's a bit of a computer geek, and he is a longtime Apple user, so he knew that they had a, a, a bug bounty program where Apple would actually pay you for information about security problems. And so he and his mom decided they'd report this to Apple. And they did it in a, you know, responsible way. They didn't, like, just drop a video showing how to exploit the thing on the internet. And they reached out. But, of course, how do you, if you have, like, the most important security flaw that Apple is going to deal with in the month, if not the year, how do you how do you get their attention? They're right. a giant company. And they had a hard time doing this. You know, they sent some tweets and tagged Apple on Facebook. And then by Tuesday, Grant's mom, Michelle, she was faxing Apple. She was getting trying to get people on the support line. You know, she was really spending a lot of time doing it. And eventually, she realized that Apple did, to their credit, they got back to her and they sort of told her that she had to uh, register as a developer and file a you know formal bug report. And right there is a- another roadblock. It's okay. I finally got through to somebody, and they're like, "Well, you know, you might have something legitimate, but you got to go through one more step before we believe you." <laughs> And these bug reports, I mean, you know, they ask you all kinds of technical stuff that really wasn't wasn't the point here. You know, this was such an easy flaw, and it was it's so obvious to anybody who tries to take advantage of it what the what the issue is that it wasn't even required. But of course, they're processing all kinds of bug claims, and some of them are important, some of them are less important. And right. so, there's no easy way to say like, hey, this is really, <laughs> you know, hey, I'm not a developer, <laughs> I'm not a security expert, but this is like really really important. Like that almost never well, happened. Once it came to their attention, they realized it was very important. That's why they pulled the whole function off of the iPhone right away because, you know, the potential uh, of what could happen. And nobody said anything that anybody's used it maliciously or anything like that yet, but still very something very important to pay attention to. Robert McMillan, reporter for the Wall Street Journal, thank you very much for joining us. Hey, my pleasure, Oscar. Take care. 
All right, that's it for us this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition.